Listener Production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, you'll be thrilled that this podcast will be a short and sharp update on what a global pandemic has done to the state of marketers, marketing, and even agencies. From the global founder and CEO of the Marketing Academy, Sherilyn Shackle. Since March last year, when this whole COVID shitstorm started, Sherilyn and her team have upended their not-for-profit marketing programs around the world with circa 10,000 marketers piling in for some sanity and a sense check with their peers. With Sherilyn's global view, we're about to find out what's happened to marketers from a personal and professional standpoint and what's happened to the marketing function in the past 18 months of the pandemic. We'll also cover off the agency world and its people. Sherilyn is particularly concerned for that sector, but overall, she's quite bullish on how marketers have fared, I think. But let's find out. Welcome, Sherilyn, beaming in from the UK in the morning, no less. In the morning, in the morning, and in my pajamas. Well, you are the only man in the world that I get up this early for, Paul. That's all I've got to say. I take that as a big wrap. Um, so, without getting too much further into your pajamas and and what sort of fashion you wear, uh, Sherilyn, let's start with what the pandemic has done uh, to both the marketing function and the humans behind marketing. What are you seeing, and what have you seen across the US, Europe, and APAC? Because you've got a really good, you've got great visibility on on what this this whole profession is up to. So give us your give us your top line sense first. Okay, well I guess top line I'd say that the pandemic for marketing has actually done some really good things. <laughs> if I'm honest, I I believe that marketing has become even more important. Uh, without a doubt, I think it's the world's great leveler. It's um, provided ways in which brands and organisations can get really close to their customers and their clients and their consumers. So, if anything, I honestly believe that marketing is just much, much more vital and important. I also think it's been upped reputationally within organisations over the over the pandemic. You know, when it all kicked off back, back like in March, I'm pretty sure that there were a lot of CEOs out there panicking like crazy. Um, and a lot of marketers having to really think deeply about how they were going to keep the connectivity going with their customers, how they were going to continue to build brands, how they are going to continue to market product when everybody's sitting in their homes. So it actually enabled some real great thinking, some new stuff, some new ways of working for, for everybody. I think the toll on the humans was harder, were harder. But um, the pandemic in general, I think for marketing in general as an industry, you know, wasn't a bad thing. Well, we'll get to the human bit in a minute. But in terms of that organizational reputation you talk about, you know, we've talked about it for a long time, right, that marketing sort of been a little under the pump and perhaps um, down the food chain further in terms of executive leadership inside organizations. Why do you say that it's it's lifted? And I say that in the context of I understand what you're talking about in terms of customers and connecting with customers, but a lot of action in the last uh, 18 months has been around digital transformation, and that's not necessarily been a marketing-led function, but you know we, we hear often about how you know five years of transformation, digital transformation has been crammed into maybe five months. So w- what exactly is it that gives you sort of the, the, the wind in the sails about marketers and marketing going up the food chain and getting more cred? 
Well, you can't do digital transformation without putting your customer right at the center of it. If you're putting your customer right at the center of it, then you have to be including marketing in a really, really big way. So the CMOs have had a louder voice, in my honest opinion, over the, over the last year, 18 months. And the really good ones, the ones that really understand how to influence, how to influence the board, the ones with relationships with the rest of the board, will have been the ones who are feeding into that digital transformation in a very different way. And I believe that the importance of marketing through a digital transformation program has, you know, that's been increased without a shadow of a doubt, that there's been a greater awareness of what it is and what it can do for an organisation. Because internally, its profile over the last 18 months has undoubtedly grown. Right. And so, you know, the, the, the sort of conversations and what you're, the signals you're picking up from the marketing academies, you know, big swathe of talent that you tap across the globe. And we talked about, you know, 10,000 people in the last sort of 12, 18 months have been coming to a bunch of your programs, virtually at least. Um, what, what, what are the signals you're getting from marketers about what's being asked of them and demanded of them from their C-suite and their leadership teams? More. <laughs> yeah, of course. Right. More. You know, they just be, well, which is all part of it. That's not a bad thing. I mean, it means that they've got to look after themselves a bit more because they're being stretched so broadly. But because the, because of the digital transformation and because of the touch point of a marketer in the centre of a business, which is where they should be and where good organisations really have them placed, then their input into how things change internally is absolutely vital. But it does mean that they've got to be looking right across their business. So they've got to be looking out of their silo. And in my view, the brands and organisations that do this well are the ones that are just broadening the the breadth and the reach of their marketing silo outside into other functions and digital being a main one. So we've seen that there's a number of chief digital officers being appointed, you know, over the last year to 18 months. And very, very often they come out of the marketing silo. Right. The ability of marketing to touch all of the different touch points around a business, you know, finance, innovation, R&D, customer service, operations, sales, you know, good marketers have always touched all of those other functions around the business. Now, with businesses having to completely transform how they work, the role of those marketers has never been so important or so influential. But they are being asked for more. You know, they're being asked to stretch their skill set across a wider base, and that's tough. Mm. But even some, I think General Mills is an example, are getting rid of the CMO, at least title and function. What, what does that say? They're getting rid of the title and function. <laughs> that's all it means. No, seriously, that's all it means. Everybody's up in arms about it, aren't they? They're not getting rid of marketing. You know, they're just renaming it and broadening it. That's not a bad thing, and I don't think it's something that we should be fearful of. You know, they've, the General Mills are not going to exist without the best marketing on the planet. They'll just call it something else. And the person at the top of it will just have that little bit wider skill set. Well, I was going to ask, yeah, but, but that's it. Why the need, though? Why does General Mills even see the need to drop marketing and turn it to something else? What, what have they called their, their old CMO bit now? What is it? Chief Growth Officer or something? Yeah. 
they've rebranded it. That that's all. That's all they've done. They haven't dropped it. I don't think, and no organisation is going to drop marketing. What they're looking to do is they're looking to get almost more bang for their bucks. They're looking to get a broader skill set in the domain that's cut that's touching their customer. That isn't a bad thing in my view, and it isn't something we need to be frightened of. If they were saying, we're going to completely collapse our marketing organization completely, we're going to have, you know, well, no brand managers, <laughs> and no R&D, no innovation, no product development. If we're going to drop everything, no brand building. I mean, seriously, General Mills will stop brand building. I doubt it. Mm. So they're still going to have it all. You know, they're just going to their... Well, maybe, just maybe, marketing is starting to really be taken so seriously that it's becoming one of the key functions and they're putting other functions underneath it. I don't think it's a bad thing, honestly. Well, let me throw you a, a curly question and you don't have to name names, but can you think of some standout examples in the last 18 months of companies, name them if you will, but don't have to, or individuals that have really stood out in terms of transforming or adapting to the new environment? Anything that, anything that sort of comes, anyone or anything that comes to mind, name or no names, but the, the example and what they did would be would be great. I'm... I'm not going to be specific, but what I can tell you is that we work with 153 alumni of our CMO fellowship program. And every year we build that by another 40 around the world. That's the creme de la creme of your program, right? That's the top top echelon. (laughs) No, I think they're all creme de la creme, right? But yes, it's the most senior program. And it is designed, it's specifically designed to give our CMOs broader stretch in their skill in their skill base. So ultimately, we've always seen the CMO as a fantastic potential successor to CEOs. It's just that the companies haven't seen that in the past. Just to be clear here, this program, this this program is is it's got McKinsey involved, correct? This is the one? Yes. Right. Yes, okay. that's right. That's right. So we run it in partnership with McKinsey in EMEA and in the US. We've been two years in the US. We've been eight years in EMEA. So there's 150 alumni of this program, right? We have definitely seen a trend over the last two years for our CMOs to be taking bigger, broader roles at board. Um, Over over the years, the last piece of research we did around it, around 58% of our fellow alumni had moved to a broader board level role within two years of finishing the program. They haven't dropped marketing, right? They are all born and bred career marketers, but their onward direction of travel has become broader. So we've seen them become managing directors and some of the managing directors of marketing, which was never there before. So they've actually grown the scope of their roles. We've seen them become chief growth officers. We've seen them become chief customer officers. We've seen them take broader roles and it's been a trend. You know, the the challenge is for the CMOs to keep up with it, you know, to, to develop their capabilities to keep up with that kind of breadth. But that's the direction of travel and that's not a bad thing. Having having CMOs responsible for P&Ls, they should be. Yeah. Giving them broader leadership influence, they should have that. Giving them touch points around all of the areas of the business that actually touch the customer, they should have that. And that's the direction that we've, that we've been seeing it going. 
and we, we're not we don't care about job titles it doesn't matter what we care about is marketing being seen as the central growth driver of the business with the person who knows the customer inside out more than any other board director that's the person that should get more breadth and influence and impact at the board and we're definitely seeing that direction got it I want to get back to some capabilities conversation if we've got time, uh, Sherilyn, but let's get to the to the, the soft stuff, the human factor. It's been quite a toll on, on marketers as well. What's been happening there? How, how have they been responding as well-being, personal stuff, personal leadership skills, soft leadership skills, all those things that are beyond capability or before capability? What are you seeing there? How are they coping? Well, I'd firstly like to say that that is anything but soft. <laughs> so leadership is not a soft skill. Um, personal development should not be seen as soft. I'll, I'm rebuked. I take that back. Yeah, it, it just it's the most essential and vital thing. So when the pandemic hit, very, very quickly, we saw our marketers all over the world, our alumni, there's, there's 700 alumni in total around the world. We saw them. The first thing that happened is that they all started to flock back together. So there was a huge, huge need for that sense of belonging and shared experience. They were all in a completely new world they'd have no experience of before, especially at the scholarship level, because, you know, at that level and that that kind of, I want to say age, we're not ages, but at that kind of age, they haven't had, you know, multiple world crises through which to lead. So they're, they're all in, you know, new world stuff huge amount of pressure from the organizations to pivot on every kind of level the working environments changed all of their tools changed everything changed and so the first thing that we saw happen was this oh my god i need more information i need more input i've lost my community i've lost my teams i've lost connectivity i've lost connection with humans you know what the hell am i going to do then about three or four months in we started to feel a huge sense of weariness overwhelm anxiety um and that lasted quite a while mm. and and in the states that's still there they are exhausted like our u.s scholars are, they're on their knees they've been pulled you know every way and they are on their knees so so we felt that there was a real need and requirement to make sure that we could provide them with platforms to come together to share with each other, to continue to be inspired. I mean, God, we all needed inspiration, right? Yeah. To be able to um, upskill, to be able to um, share from experts around the world. And we had to deliver that in, in their homes, right? right. <laughs> so we switched all of the in-year programs, obviously switched to virtual delivery. We had to get very good at that very quickly. That wasn't easy. And then because we'd switched the actual learning of the programs to virtual, we decided that we would enable all of our alumni and all of our partners and mentors and coaches around the world to invite their teams to come to our stuff because it didn't matter how many were, were in the audience. And we really believed that the industry needed inspiration, development, nurturing um, during this really tough time. So prior to that, it was a very exclusive individual only and mostly physical events, right? Yes, and it still is in that the scholarship and the fellowships are still highly exclusive. They're still the same numbers, only 30 per program. Which is why you've never let me in ever. Very exclusive. That's exactly why you've, you've never met the criteria, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> 
But, you know, we had this beautiful opportunity of time to just share our learning, you know, with a much, much wider base. And we chose to give to gift that to our community because our community gives so much to us, you know, during the year. But we did enable all of our alumni to invite, you know, 20, 30, 40 people in their teams to come and listen to lessons on leadership, lessons on skills, lessons on wellness, um, which they'd all required. Um, and it was incredible. Uh, yeah, they all piled in, right? They did all pile in. So, so we started to realise how important it was that we continued that, and we have, and I may talk about that later. But, you know, here's, here's the things that were really at the top of their list. They really needed wellness, mental well-being, support around their mental health. That was really important. Because we were delivering virtually, we were also able to respond to things as they happened and get them speakers and experts around things that were happening with immediacy. So, you know, when Black Lives Matter hit last year, we created really quickly a series of four quite quite intense, um, quite honest and open talks dealing with that whole issue. Right. So it also enabled us to, you know, respond to what they needed in real time. I imagine there was some brutal honesty going on there, was there? There really was. Radical candor, I'd say, but in safe space. Yeah. And that's why I say to you, these things aren't soft, right? Men- mental well-being and wellness, that's not soft stuff. If a CEO isn't putting the mental well-being of their employees right front and centre right now, whilst they're all still feeling exhausted and overwhelmed, then it doesn't matter how good their hard capability is, as you call it. doesn't matter. It goes out the window. So if you don't look after that stuff, you're shafted. And from a leadership perspective, there has never been a more important time for exceptional leadership than now. You know, leading through this kind of crisis, understanding when you've got to really push, you've got to get really hard, like right at the beginning, all of the company said, we're going to tell you what to do. We're going to tell you when to do it. We're going to send you home. You're not, all the government said, you're not leaving your home. You're applying by this rule. Um, Real control and command type leadership, which was essential at the beginning of the crisis, then became very nuanced. So as people started to get pissed off with being told what to do because it had gone on for so long, as the people were saying, can you not start treating us as adults, please? We understand what we need to do to protect ourselves. All of the leaders had to begin to bring people with them on this kind of decision-making. And that's, that is a really tough skill, understanding what style of leadership is required due, due to the situation. is really, really tough. And that just ladders right the way down through the organisation at every leadership level. Mm. That, that requirement for those leaders to step up and be exceptional, honestly, it's never been as important as it is now. Let me ask a question that could be a little curly, but when you talked about sort of the radical candor that your top CMOs were grappling with uh, around Black Lives Matter, what were some of those questions they were grappling with? What were some of the things that they were they were throwing up in a in a in a safe environment to discuss and feel like they possibly couldn't even ask that sometimes inside their organisations, probably because it may not be deemed appropriate. But was there any of that? What was covered? What was canvassed? And I don't want names, or just just to give the audience um, a sense of reality. There were there were so, there was so much going on in their heads, right? So, firstly, our industry is predominantly white. I I cannot. I'm not even going to 
try and move away from that. It's wrong. Um, it's ridiculous, but it's true. Population in our industry, especially at the top, is predominantly white. I'm horrified by it, but it is, uh, especially in our territories, right? UK, US and um, Australia. And therefore, they went through a huge amount of, of stuff while all that, that stuff happened. So, you know, firstly, it was, oh, my God, how, how do we respond to this as an organisation? How do we respond to this as a brand? And then how am I responding to this as a human being? They had questions that they would be too uncomfortable to ask anybody. Mm. And yet they were seen to be the ones that were supposed to have all of the answers to how a brand was supposed to respond to this, which is why we saw so many fuck ups. We saw companies doing ridiculous things. We saw companies, you know, posting stuff with all of the employees in their business, literally cringing, especially their employees of colour. Um, and so we were able to provide them with a space where they could ask the questions or voice the views that they were too afraid to say externally. And some of that would, was literally, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to feel. I don't even know whether I've got biases, subconscious biases. I don't even truly understand why I think what I think. Because it was a profound point in time, right? Mm. And anybody that was kind of white and a bit privileged went into freeze mode. Yeah. <laughs> we knew that we needed to do as much as we could to help them understand, really understand what, you know, being excluded meant, you know, what not being, you know, the opposite of inclusivity, what inclusivity meant, what diversity really meant. What it really meant to walk in the shoes of someone who's, you know, been isolated or excluded for most of their life, which is half of their customers. Right. You know, that's the shocking thing about it all, right? So, um, you know, we, we did whatever we could. And and the impact, what do you how do you think it helped? What did they do as a result? Or just they you know, they 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 got a broader sense of what they could do. They did. They got a broader sense of what they could do. They realized that they weren't alone in not knowing the answers. They realized that it was not weak to ask for help and input on it. They understood how to have conversations with both their customers and their teams. You know, we really did just shine the spotlight on how to figure this stuff out. We gave them the opportunity to learn. One more quick question before we get back on track um, is when you talked about uh, the US, particularly the US uh, CMOs and further up the food chain being uh, exhausted. How is that different to say what you're seeing in the UK in Australia? Is it is it is it that more pronounced in the US? Is it? Yeah. Well, so we saw the alumni in Australia really come together, which I thought was a bit amazing. I thought some lovely things happened in Australia. Um, you know, from a connectivity, from a sense of belonging, from a in it together. We saw a lot of in it together. We didn't see so much in it together in the States. Right. We just saw them desperate to be together, but just so exhausted whilst they were all figuring out, you know, what it was that they, how it was that they were going to respond and, and thrive through the pandemic. Right. So there's a bunch of lone rangers there. A lot of having to be mm. lone rangers and hating that. You know, if, if you were in Manhattan, you know, at the spike, and if you were in Manhattan when Black Lives Matter, for instance, and you're living in a tiny little apartment that's, you know, 80 square feet or whatever, 
and living alone that you know that that I'm not saying it was tougher for them than anywhere else don't hear me saying that I'm not but I'm saying that situationally I believe that Americans who are highly highly connected really into personal we're really into relationships you know really into building relationships with people that, that it, we took that away from them it was like the rug was pulled underneath them and you know they ended up even more depleted and even more busy so just a very very intense time for them i mean everybody had it right i mean australia had it bad for other reasons you had all sorts of shit going on um we just saw it a little bit more acutely with the with the u.s guys who literally wouldn't couldn't even find time to get on a call yeah, right. Well, listen, I did promise we were going to be short and sharp. We've blown that one already, Sherilyn, but I've got a few more questions before we let you go to, into your day. One of them is, um, uh, what's different about the emerging marketing leaders you're seeing today versus those fellows that sit, um, that you deal with, um, you know, at the top at the moment? Uh, is there a different type of marketing leader coming through now or not? There is a little. We've just finished the selection process for the US scholars. It was fabulous. I mean, the emerging talent that's coming through from a capability perspective, I think is really strong. I also feel that they are much more rounded from a leadership perspective, which I'm really also delighted about. They care about the world on a fundamentally different level. They always have. But we're just seeing that more acutely over the selection processes in the last year. We're seeing it more acutely. They also, um, they really do, purpose is really up there. I know it's hackneyed. We've got to find a different word for it. But, you know, they want to work with businesses and on businesses that are going to take, you know, the future of our planet seriously. You cannot underestimate that. But, I mean, our future is in the hands of these guys. And I do believe that they're putting that kind of thing front and centre. And they are really keen to be at the top of their game from a you know, mental health and wellness perspective. And they recognize the need to make sure that they're doing that within their lives so and within their work. So, you know, I think that future's in really good hands. We're definitely seeing, you know, every year it seems like the the, the, the caliber, the quality, the experience level, the breadth of skill increases. Mm which you know fills me with joy really right so you know we've had we've had a lot of uh, introspection in the last 5 or 6 years about the marketing function perhaps uh, on the way and you've already covered that a little but you're upbeat about what who who and the type of people and capabilities that are coming through the pipe yeah i am mm. yes i am really upbeat mm. i think there's no better time honestly there's just no better time to be in our industry and there's no better time for us to harness the passion and the talent and the curiosity of of that of those younger people coming through. Now's the time to, to harness that talent, in my view. Conversely, uh, you're concerned about what's going on in agencies, um, full stop, really, but the people uh, there inside agency land, whether it be media, creative, digital, you name it, you've got concerns. Why? I've got concerns because they're overworked. They're overworked. They're really under the pump. The agency world, I'm not sure yet, has completely figured out what it's going to be You know, going forward. They really did feel the crunch early as they, they're going to, right? They're the ones that I've often said that for some organizations, they are the kicking boy or the kicking person. Mm. And so they've always been under pressure, under pressure with margins, under pressure with workload, under pressure with potential burnout. That got worse. 
<laughs> there's no question that got worse um and i'm i'm hoping that the industry itself can still be as attractive as it used to be to talent choosing it as a profession because i think it took a lot of blows over the last 12 months and we started to see a higher proportion of talent leaving the industry which i think is tragic it's just a tragedy but we definitely saw that happening so but, but ironically Sherilyn, ironically here you're talking about a service industry that's um sort of plugging into the marketing academy's core constituents which are marketers and they're often responsible for what's happening with their partners their service partners so how do you reconcile that kind of bit of tension because we make sure that that tension is worked on for the cohorts that that we put through the program please understand that the scholarship program in all three countries is pretty much split 50-50 between agencies and brands the cmo program we run is exclusively brand side cmos but the scholarship splits across all right. the whole industry um we work really hard to ensure that they all understand each other you know that's point 101 right and at a basic level they're all human beings you know figuring it out and learning how to collaboratively work together to a greater good but that's what we teach and we need to teach it because that's not historically been there. There are exceptions to that rule. There are some CMOs around, there are many CMOs around the world for whom their agencies are their lifeblood, their partners, they consider them part of their organization. Brilliant. That's best in class. Unfortunately, it's not common. Mm. You know, that is not the de facto way to be. So we work really hard to ensure that our cohorts really understand the value and really understand how to influence their agency partners, to support their agency partners, to work together collaboratively, et cetera. But it's not the norm and it's not, and that's not what happens around the world. And, you know, they're the first ones to get squeezed. And, you know, they're half our talent pool and we care passionately about them. And therefore, I'm, I'm just a little worried that, you know, people are leaving that industry and if they're leaving, you know, is it going to be an attractive industry to, for people to go in right at the bottom of the pipe, you know, the youngsters, the grads, etc.? Are they going to be, you know, gravitating towards, you know, the shiny looking brand? What's your hunch? What's your hunch on what will, what will happen to agencies um, or, or, or how they navigate through and out? Oh, they'll, they'll survive. It, it's essential. I think there will be another kind of polar swing to insourcing. We're going to get that. We'll get that for a time. You know, that whole pendulum that swings, you know, every two or three years for decades, you know, maybe there's going to be a little bit of a swing now to bringing that stuff in, bringing creative in, bringing design in, bringing innovation in, bringing the management in. It'll flip back again, you know, once they realise that, you know, running a business, creatively led business is very different. Mm. So, well, look, it's going to survive if the current leadership really understand that this is a potential issue and do as much as they can to fix it. You know, raising the profile of the industry at large, of the professions at large, you know, raising the raising awareness right the way down to the schools and unis um, about this fantastic potential career path. And then looking after the people that they've got because they're their biggest advocates or they're their biggest detractors. You know, looking after the people they've got, do not burn out your people. Do not get them working 16, 17 hours a day. 
you know, pay them well, invest in them, develop them, engage them, enable them to thrive. You'll keep them, your attention will go up and they'll be your biggest advocates to bring new people in the business. So, you know, they've just got to focus up again. Paul, it just comes down to leadership. Again. Mm. Great. Well, listen, um, I'm going to keep to my pledge, which is short and sharp, not so short and sharp, really, but we have one final subject to, to cover, and that is what the, the Marketing Academy's priorities and programs for, for next year, for 2022. What do they look like and, and what's happening in Australia? Um, so give us that as a, as a sort of a big picture of what we can see, uh, what, what we're looking at for next year, Sherilyn. Sure. Well, big picture is that we've opened nominations and applications for all of our programs in our three territories. So the UK, Australia, the US scholarship and the two EMEA, uh, the EMEA and the US fellowship program. They're all open for applications for 2022. So they're going to continue unchanged and we feel very confident that we'll be able to get them together in, in person. We've um, we've just run the um, middle boot camp for the UK in person and I'm hopeful, really hopeful that the um, Australia 2022 program will all take place in person. Um, the big thing for us is focusing on what we have called our virtual campus. So the Marketing Academy virtual campus is what's become of all of the events that we ran last year virtually. What we've done is we've actually designed a curriculum that is called the Virtual Campus Programme, which is a programme of 24 different lessons around wellness, self-mastery, leadership, skills development that is delivered live but virtually through an online platform which is they are words i never thought i'd say (laughs) (laughs) ever but we've um we've got five and a half thousand people actually enrolled on that program around the world right now it's the industry's best kept secret right now because we've we've we launched it in january this year we needed to figure out what it would be we needed to make sure it was exceptional and it would have impact and land so we kind of soft trialed it for this year and we enabled all of our mentors and coaches and scholars and sponsors around the world to enroll their teams we i want that to be the biggest gift to the industry i haven't worked out quite how to do it yet but um we are going to continue to invest our time and energy into that program so that we can bring the academy's learning to a much wider population we'll never replace the scholarship and the fellowship and in fact you know we're exploring the option to bring the fellowship to australia and we're also exploring an option to do something in new zealand and maybe build out asia from australia for our core programs for the scholarship and fellowship but this um, virtual campus program, I think, has got huge potential and opportunity to really bring our learning to the masses in a way that doesn't cost money, just costs time. Mm. And so I'm really, really excited about that. I think it could be amazing. And quickly, what's happening in Australia, Sherilyn? So the current cohort of just about, just they'll be graduating towards the end of the year. We need to get them together physically because they couldn't meet physically for their second and uh, third boot camp. So we need to get them together physically. The 2022 nominations are open in Australia. So that program kicks off in March. The um, nominations are open only until the first week of December. So if you've got talent out there, make sure that you're nominating them. We are exploring the option to bring the fellowship to Australia. Um, the CMO program, I think the timing could could now be right. We're looking at New Zealand as a possible pop-up program. Because um, whilst you can, if you're in New Zealand, you can be nominated for the for the scholarship. Obviously, you have to travel across. So we are thinking that New Zealand might well be worthy 
of, of investment of, of the talent. So uh, well, I, I think you should be because, you know, I am a New Zealander, so definitely worthy. <laughs> It is, and there's fantastic talent down there. It always has been. Um, So, you know, doing something down there. Um, So I think Australia's, you know, looking really hopeful. And I just cannot wait to get in the country. I know, right? The first plane that's not full of all of the Aussie nationals coming home, for the first flight they allow me on, I'm down. You're down. Because it will probably have been two years since I've been in country. I was in in country when the pandemic hit. I was on the last but one flight out. (laughs) Well, Otherwise, I'd still be there, which would not have been a hardship, believe me. No, that's right. Um, we, we might have been I, better for it. I can't wait to get in. I cannot wait to get in and hug all of our scholars and alum and mentors and coaches that I've missed over the last 18 months. But Emma Beaumont, who runs the program down there, is amazing and delivering fantastic results. And the current cohort are loving it. I might even have to agree with you on that one. Well, listen, I'm going to pull stumps now because we're going to keep talking. But uh, Cheryl and in pyjamas in the UK... Thanks for joining. Stay safe and absolutely look forward to catch up when you get back here and look at what uh, else the Market Academy is up to. Uh, thanks for joining, Sherilyn. Thank you so much, Paul. Good to talk. This MI3 audio edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's more. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 audio edition to listen for free. Listener.